0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Um, As Mike said, my name's Josh. Uh, I've had the privilege of being Mike's friend for... Over a a decade, about 12 years now or so, um, we were actually part of a church plant together here in Clarksville that started 11 years ago. It's just wild. Um, And uh, Chad was the pastor at the very first church I ever served in as a youth pastor in uh, Woodbury, Tennessee. He was like 26 and I was 22, and the church was nuts um, for hiring the both of us. Um, But uh, uh, these are great guys. I know I've said it to you before, <clears throat> but I, I was in a conversation with a lady after the first service, and it was her first time here, and we're going to talk some about authenticity with each other today, and that just kind of resonated with her, and she said, yeah, I'm just really looking for a place where that's true, where where people really are authentic, and I said, well, I don't know a lot of the people in the church, I said, but I know Mike, and I know Chad, and they're the two most real, authentic, transparent guys I know, and... um and and I I I'm not lying. I don't know. Maybe you've experienced that as well. But you guys are blessed to have the leadership that you have in in, in this church. Especially in the, all your staff is great. I just know those two guys personally, uh, and you're definitely blessed. Um, last time I was here, I think it was a few months ago. There was actually a room there, uh, and now it's just black plastic. I love what you've done with the place. It's beautiful. Uh, now I'm really excited about the expansion of the sanctuary. I know you guys are working towards getting a children's uh, building constructed out back. Man. That's It's exciting stuff. So exciting to see God at work in His church. The reason you're having to do that is because this has been a place where people, I think, know there's something real going on here. um, That Jesus is changing lives, and you're evidence of that. uh, And people are drawn to that. So, um, man, keep it up. I'm praying for you guys. I'm excited about what God's doing and about the days ahead here for you. so Chad started a series a couple of weeks ago on fear, and uh, I'm gonna pick up in that same idea. I wanna talk today uh, about the fear of being known, uh, the fear that maybe we have of people really knowing the true us, talking about authenticity. Um, we're coming up tomorrow is everybody's favorite uh, holiday, Reformation Day, right? Who's excited? Martin Luther, knowing the theses on the door. Uh, Halloween, um, and we're not gonna talk about that because you may have different Uh, thoughts about Halloween, but if you got kids, more than likely, they're real excited, maybe dressing up. um, They're going to have masks on. They're going to go around the neighborhood pretending like they're superheroes or somebody else in um, costumes and masks and kind of putting across a different type of identity than what they normally are day to day, right? Um, And it's exciting for them to get to do that. My two teenage daughters were in the early service. They're 18 and 19. Their boyfriends were here, so I looked right at them kind of the whole service and just at the two boys, kind of the... Death stare from dad, but my two girls were sitting over here and we talked about. um, uh, I shared with the the first service how even at 18 and 19, they still kind of get excited about dressing up for Halloween, right? Um, And kind of coming up with their costumes or whatever they're going to do. The reality of that is something happens in life where dressing up um, as a kid, putting on a mask as a kid, transitions from something being fun to when we're adults, it's just something that we think is necessary. And I'm not talking about like Halloween costumes or uh, PPE stuff like our mask that we wore during COVID. I'm talking about that invisible mask and costume that we put on when we go out in public because we don't necessarily want people to know the real us, right? So we put on this mask of everything's good, everything's fine. Um, and because really, if we're honest with each other, most of us have things going on in life that are kind of ugly, Maybe they're in turmoil, Uh, there's a struggle, Um, there's something hard happening. Uh, it, and and kind of in our theme today, maybe it's maybe it's just a sin issue in your life, and you're just struggling with that, and you've been struggling with it for a long time. And um, and we don't want other people to really know that that's the true us that we have this baggage and these burdens. And so especially on Sunday mornings in churches, I think this is where we wear our mask most often, uh, and we come in through the doors like maybe we maybe driving here we're like oh stuff is a train wreck in life I'm really struggling, and then we come through the doors the mask comes on you know the greeters there how you doing brother I'm blessed in the lord my friend you know and it's all kind of a show because really we just feel like life's not really a blessing right now there's just hard stuff happening um, and we don't necessarily feel like we can be just honest with each other even as even as and especially as Christians within a church even in a venue like this, we feel like we just can't really let other people know who we truly are because if that person knew what I really struggle with, what I really think about, what, what, the, what the sin issue is in my life, if they really knew, oh, it would be bad. Like I would be ridiculed, I'd be judged, I'd be rejected because the truth is I'm the only one that's struggling with this, right? Right? We think that. And we think that we're the only one that's really got it got it wrong. Everybody else truly is blessed in the Lord. Amen. And I'm the one that is struggling with this baggage and this burden in my life. And if I let them know uh kind of the real me, I'm gonna be rejected. And I think the unfortunate truth for most. Adults, and not just adults, I'm, I know there's kids, there's teenagers in the room. I think that the truth for most of us, and unfortunately for the majority of Christians, is that we feel if we were really known, if people really know us, they're gonna disown us. If people really know me, they're gonna disown me. And not just know about me, like Josh Phillips, a little overweight, lives in Shelbyville, right? That's me, not just those types of things, but like the real me the things i think about that maybe i shouldn't think about the things i say that i shouldn't say the things i look at that i shouldn't look at the motivations i have that i shouldn't have even as a believer in jesus who has been forgiven of those things if other people in the church really knew the heart here and the things i struggle with i'm going to be rejected i might i might lose a friend or a spouse or a position in ministry in the church if people really knew what was going on in my life. See, there's a lie that we believe, even as Christians, and I think especially as Christians. There's a lie that we have bought into that the enemy sells wholesale, and it's this. If you're honest, you're going to be punished. If you're honest about your struggles, if you're honest about your remaining sin issues even as a believer and especially as a believer you you're you're professing to follow Jesus you're showing up at church you're teaching a class you're taking care of the kids you're in the men's group if you're honest about what you're dealing with dude it's punishment it's rejection and judgment and ridicule and punishment and because of that we're scared of that so what happens the mass goes on we walk through the doors everything's good and we don't really get into the depth of what we're dealing with in life with each other. And I think that's unfortunately because that, it's unfortunate because that thought does not align with what Scripture teaches at all. In fact, we're going to be in Psalm 32. And I'll give you a little background of it in just a second. But what we're going to see in Psalm 32 is a remembrance of King David of a time in his life when he put the mask on. And he thought, if people know, I'm gonna be rejected. And then the reality of what he experienced when he was honest about his struggles. Let's pray, go ahead and start finding Psalm 32. And then uh, we'll jump in here and talk about this briefly together. Father, thank you uh, for the way you love us. Thank you, God, that um, you're present this morning. I'm so thankful for this church, the bridge and uh, the leadership here, and just what they're doing in the community. I'm thankful for the people that are here because their life has been changed by you in this place. Um, Lord, I pray that just continues. And God, we do pray for the other churches uh, in this community this morning that are preaching the truth of the gospel that are holding Jesus high. God, I pray you'd bless their churches and their congregations. Grow them, God. Give their leadership great wisdom um, so that uh, the churches here in this community, God, can really work together to advance the gospel here. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? We know your word always speaks. If we would listen to your voice, if we'd be submissive to the movement of your spirit, God, we'll walk out different than how we came in. And that's what we're praying for in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the truth of scripture is not that, um, if you're honest, you'll be punished. The truth of Scripture is is actually confession is rewarded. It's really the truth of scripture. Confession and honesty is rewarded in the believer's life. Now we don't necessarily believe that because that hasn't maybe been our experience or it's not been what, uh, it's not what we have been told or what we tell ourselves. But look here at the beginning of Psalm 32. Now, uh, most of you know David's story, right? If not, just a brief synopsis. when he was maybe a teenager, um, God anoint chose him and anointed him to be king of, over Israel. It took some time before he realized that position between being anointed and taking the the kingship in Israel. He killed the giant Goliath, right? And then he becomes king. And while he's king, as king, he is the most beloved, revered, honored man in all of Israel, right? He's their king. And he was a great king. Scripture refers to him as a man after God's own heart, chosen and anointed by God, to rule and be king over Israel. And in this place that he's in as God's chosen and anointed, he was a man, right? He had sin issues in his life. He, he was a sinner, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. The person you're sitting next to is a sinner. In fact, look at the person next to you and just say, you're a sinner. And now say, and I am too. Nice, don't you feel good? I mean, you're already being honest. He, he was a sinner. And we, we have, we've kind of highlighted some of these issues in his life, and what he's known for is one day, he was in his palace, maybe in his chamber, there was a balcony, and as he looks out his balcony, he can see into the courtyards of the houses around, and there's a lady there named Bathsheba, and she was out bathing, and... He lusted over her, had her brought into his chambers. He slept with her. She got pregnant. He's kind of scrounging around to try to cover it up, um, tries to get her actual husband to come off the battlefield to go home and be with her. So they think it's his baby. He's a man of honor. He says, I'm not going to leave the battle. So David ultimately just has uh, a battle scheme put up to where Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, would be killed. So in in this moment, we see David guilty of lust, of adultery, of uh, lying, of falsehood, and of murder, right? So some pretty biggies right there, but he's still known, let's not lose this. David was still anointed before all this. He was still chosen before all this. He was still determined by God to be king for all of this, and he was still called a man after God's own heart in spite of all this, but he has some major sin issues in his life. So after all this happens, we don't know how much time passes, but a man named Nathan, who's a prophet, comes and confronts David. He says, David, um, he, t- he tells him this story to kind of draw this, this response out of David, but ultimately David confesses to being those things. He's like, yep. I messed up. And the word confess, as we talk about it today and as it's used in Scripture, it's used a few different ways, but for our, our uh, purposes this morning, the word confess, as in confession of sin, simply means to agree with somebody, to, to, to agree with a truth or with a standard. That's what the word confess means. So Dave is like, I agree. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. I've done something that's wrong. So when he pins Psalm 32 in the future, he's thinking back of this season in his life and the sin that went on, and how he felt internally, and and all that kind of stuff. So with the idea that Scripture teaches that confession is rewarded, look what David writes here in Psalm 32. He says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge, with iniquity that word charge it's like it's a legal term to be charged with a crime right so how uh, how joyful is a person whom the lord does not charge with iniquity or with sin and in whose spirit there is no deceit so he opens this saying you know what for those of us who have had our sin kind of exposed, and we've confessed it, we've been honest, uh, God, through the work of Jesus, has removed the guilt of that sin. We're gonna dive into that a little deeper in a moment, but has, God no longer charges them as guilty. The sin is a reality, it happened, but they're no longer charged as guilty for it. And he says, in response to that, we are blessed, and we are joyful because of that reality. Right, That's what scripture teaches. Those who have been honest about their sin, it's been forgiven, it's been dealt with. Those people live lives of joy. Now we have kind of a bad understanding of the word joy. A lot of times we uh, tie it in with the word happy. And, And we're happy when situations are right. When situations aren't right, we're sad. But joy is not dependent on your situation. Joy is dependent on truth. And the truth is that God is in control and that um, all things are from him and by him and through him. And no matter what's going on in my life, he's got it. So I can be content. I can be at peace. And in this context, uh, David is saying the one um, who has had their sin removed by God, there's peace between them and God. Everything is good. Therefore, they can be content and have joy in him. So this is the reality that scripture teaches should be a defining characteristic for the person of God, for the Christian whose sin has been dealt with, a life of joy and peace and contentment. But I think there's some tension here uh, because more than likely, there's some of you who have walked in today or have had seasons in your life where you would say, you know, I'm a Christian. I know my sin has been forgiven, but I don't feel that joy. I don't feel that peace. And I continue to struggle with this issue in my life. I continue to struggle with this sin issue in my life. I know he has forgiven me of it, but why is it still kind of holding me in bondage? Why don't I feel joy and freedom if this is what scripture is teaching? And this is what I want us to address just briefly this morning. i want to give you just three concepts or truths about sin and the way we deal with it that I think will help answer that question of why does scripture promise that confession is rewarded and that those who do it experience joy But I, as a Christian who has professed faith, I'm not walking in that joy, and I still feel like I'm struggling with that sin. Where's that disconnect? There's a tension there. Why does that occur? And I hope that we can see the answer to that here this morning. So uh, I'm going to walk us just through three simple statements here. The first is this, concealed sin torments us right? That's something that you probably know and experience and get. Anytime there's a sin issue in our life, especially as believers, primarily as believers, and and we just kind of hide it and suppress it, it torments us. Listen to what David David writes here in verse three of Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. So by context, we'll see he's talking about being silent about his sin. So there's a period in David's life. He knew he had a sin issue. He knew he did some things he shouldn't have done. He kept it quiet though. Now we know that in the context of being a king in a palace and how David's story unfolded, there were people who knew what he had done. He didn't go and get Bathsheba. He sent somebody. He wasn't the commander on the battlefield that made sure Uriah was alone on the front line to get killed. He sent somebody to do that. Right, So there were people that knew what David had done, but David says, as long as I stayed quiet about it, it crushed me. When I stayed silent, he said his bones became brittle. He was groaning. There was some sort of physical, tangible suffering that David went through as the anointed chosen king of God because he did not confess his sin. He was not open about his sin. And it says that this suffering, we see here, it came from what? That heavy hand of God on his life. That, that the hand of God in an act of grace and compassion began to weigh heavier and heavier and heavier on David's life as long as he remained silent to the point to where he felt physical suffering and discomfort because he hid his sin. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of this, but I understand this. This is part of my story. I dealt with a physical illness, I believe, allowed by God to address a a spiritual illness in my life. And maybe some of you have been there, but it's not always physical illness. Sometimes God allows relational stress, financial stress, uh, emotional stress uh, for the express result to get your attention and to get my attention. Now, sometimes we just get sick. Sometimes relationships just fall apart. Sometimes inflation is just there and we lose some money. It, it, it sometimes just happens. But I do believe in the believer's life, in that, in that believer's life who is living with unconfessed and undealt with sin, that the gracious, loving hand of God puts pressure on that life, physically, emotionally, financially, in some way to get our attention. It's an act of love and it's an act of grace when he does that. And he did that here for David. So, so we see that, that the truth is when we keep silent about our sin, that it can lead to distress and it can lead to torment. But another truth about sin is this, is that when it's canceled, we're saved from it. See, um, concealed sin torments us, but canceled sin saves us. Let me explain this a little bit. Uh, Ephesians, you may just want to write this down, this reference, but Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, listen to what Paul says to the believers in Ephesus. He's writing to a church, to Christians. And he says, and you Christians were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath, as the others were also. So basically, what he just did there is what I did earlier. He said, Look at your neighbor and tell them they're a sinner. Right, he's reminding them of their past. Hey, you—you you were dead in your sin and in your trespasses, and in fact, because of that, you were by nature a child of wrath. You were gonna, as a child would inherit from their parents, you're gonna inherit the wrath of God because of your sin. Now, if you go on, the next verse begins with two amazing words, but God. And we see from there, we're not going to read these, but we see from there, Paul explain what God did in response. But what I want us to, to just to grab in this moment right here is that sin is an issue, it's an issue for everyone, and it's going to be punished by the wrath of God through eternal separation from Him. Right? So that's reality of scripture. Sin is an issue. But now over in Colossians. Uh, Paul writes as well to the believers in that city in uh, chapter two, verse 13, he says, and when you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so, so he's kind of saying the same things. When you were dead in the sin, believers, he, God, made you alive with him and forgave all of your trespasses. How? Verse 14 here is amazing. Listen closely. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. So what Paul is saying here, he's using some legal terminology to say that because of your sin, it's almost like a physical contract had been written. And on that contract, it said that you were in debt to God because of your sin. There's a certificate of debt that has to be paid. And scripture teaches clearly that the debt is Death, right? Somebody, something dies to pay that debt. Well, if we're children of wrath because of our sin, we're the ones that are gonna pay that debt. There's a certificate. It's binding. It has to be paid. But it says that God paid it for us, how? By nailing it to the cross. What was nailed to the cross? Who was nailed to the cross? Say it. Jesus was nailed to the cross, right? So through Jesus, that debt of our sin, that legal binding debt was removed, placed on Jesus. He became the guilt of our sin and he paid the debt on the cross in our place. So scripture is teaching us that for the believer in Jesus, the sin has happened, it's occurred, past, present, and future, we're still gonna sin, we're still gonna have it, but the debt of that sin, past, present, and future, for the believer has already been paid and been removed through the work of Jesus, right? So it's that reason that David is able to say, well, hey, this person is joyful and they're blessed because that debt has been paid. Now here, here's a little um, uh, uh, an, an easy point that, that although the debt has been paid and removed, we still battle sin. Right? The sin hasn't been removed. The debt has been removed. But we're still battling sin. Now, how does David respond to this? So now you're, you're back in Psalm 32 with this kind of understanding. Verse five, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the what? The guilt of my sin. That's beautiful. If you're a believer in Jesus, the guilt of your sin, past, present, and future has been paid. It's removed. You don't have to pay that anymore. And so he says in verse six, therefore, because of this great news, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. So if we're recognizing there's sin in my life, anytime I commit a sin, I just wanna immediately go to God and pray and make that known and just agree, hey, this was a sin issue. He says, because when great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. Basically saying like, if we delay in that, it just builds and builds and builds. And then it's almost like we can't get to God. We feel that. I know in my life when I would go through a series of maybe sin that I'm not confessing, I would feel like God would not want to hear from me. So I would be quiet. So he's saying, no, immediately go to him Verse 7, he says, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. And then you surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I love this phrase that God's not just reluctantly paying our debt for us. He's joyfully doing it. And then after he does it, it's like he's just shouting over us Your debt is paid. You're delivered. Forgiveness is taken care of. You have been saved from the wrath of me. You're delivered. And it's a joyful thing for God to do that. Now, this is, I think, a big point of tension for us. And I always love to pull that out because I think it's important for us to be honest about the fact that sometimes what scripture teaches and what we feel kind of butts heads and what we experience, so we need to pick that apart a little bit. I think this is one of those areas. And this is really what I wanted to kind of get to and settle on for just a few minutes this morning. It's the fact that there are Christians in the room who have confessed their sin to God, who have had their debt forgiven, hallelujah, but don't feel like they're delivered. I don't, I don't know if that resonates with anyone. You don't have to raise your hand if that's you, but I know, I know I've, I've lived there. Knowing that the debt of my sin has been taken care of, but still feeling like I'm in bondage. Still feeling like I don't have freedom from it. I know I'm saved from it, but I don't feel like I have freedom from it. Why is that? Why, why do we live in that place? And I think the, the, re, the, the reason why we live in that place is related to the reason why we put a mask on when we walk through the doors. I think we live in that place because we're not authentic with each other. Listen to this. This is gonna be a familiar passage. James 5, 13. If anyone among you, is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, because of these wonderful truths, confess your sins to God. Who's to say? One another. Ooh. Awkward, right? <laughs> Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The, pa- the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. There, I don't know, I've struggled to know how to say this. I, I struggled in the first service as well because I don't want to remove anything from the work of Christ. It's all about him and salvation, but it's almost like salvation has, it's like a two-sided coin. On one side, you have the command in Scripture and the promise in Scripture that if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you, First John 1, 9. Right? And we've talked about how when we confess, he removes the guilt. We may still sin, the guilt is gone. And we're saved from the wrath of God. That's what it means to be saved. We're saved from the wrath of God. But there's another side to that coin That calls us to confess our sins to each other as well. And I believe it's this other side of the coin where we begin, where we realize that, you know what, confession of sins frees us. Where where the cancellation of sin saves us through what Jesus did, the confession of sin to each other frees us from that bondage. Now, it's all through the power and the work of Jesus, but there is something extremely potent about an authentic, real conversation from one believer to another, where one believer says, I've messed up. I've, I've got this issue. I've got this spiritual struggle. It's not, it's not all right. I don't, I don't necessarily feel blessed in the Lord. This is it and I've I've dealt with it for a long time or or I thought I had it, I thought I had it handled but it's come back up. There's something extremely powerful when we listen to James 5:16 and we obey it and we confess our sins one to another that that promise that's given there begins to be realized in our life. We are healed. And it's it's so unfortunate that so many believers live the majority of their life with that, without that other side of the coin. That we walk around saying, well, I know I'm, a, I know I'm saved. I, I mean, I've, I know it. I, I've, I've given my life to Christ. I've, I've trusted him. I know he's my only way to heaven, but I still struggle with this. Why can't I, why can't I experience deliverance and freedom and healing from this issue in my life? Can I tell you why? Because you're hiding it. I, I served in ministry a long time, for about 20 years. I'm 43 years old now, and it took me until I was 41 years old to get this, to understand this, that if I really wanna be healed of sin issues and progress, and, and, and there's always gonna be sin issues, it's is gonna be kind of the next one I need to work through, but if I kind of wanna set these old ones aside and not let them hold on to me any longer and not feel like I'm in bondage to them, there's gotta be this step of confessing my sin to another believer. And until we take that hard, awkward step, we're gonna live lives that don't line up with what scripture teaches as being people of joy. Because we're gonna walk in and we're gonna think, if they only knew. And I'm the only one dealing with. And they won't understand. And I'm gonna be judged. Let me, let me, let me give you a couple of truths about confession with other people. The first is this, and I've talked about it, it, it heals us. For the person being honest, it heals. Ha, has anybody ever experienced that in their life? I think some of us have, that we're like, okay, I just, gotta, I just gotta be honest, I gotta confess this. Whether it's to the person you hurt or not, I just gotta get it out there. If you've done that, you've experienced it. You're like, whoa, burden, kinda removed, Bondage and shame kind of melting away a little bit. And we, we've experienced this. It, it, confession removes this bur- burden of shame, but confession also proves to us when we confess sins to other believers, guess what it proves? It proves that we're not alone in it. Listen, everybody in here has baggage. Everybody in here has junk in their life, right? We, we all got crap. Sorry if I'm not allowed to say that. We all, we all got stuff that's life. That's life. You have a remnant of flesh remaining until the Lord returns. You're gonna sin. You're gonna struggle. And so when you open up, and this is what I've experienced in my life. I've been in a group of guys and I've, and I've shared my struggle and my sin. And, and you know what happens when we go around the, the group? A guy's like, yep, 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 me too, me too. Been there, done that, been there. And you know what that does to me? Oh, These guys are losers too. Like we're all, we're all struggling. I'm not alone. And these are Christian men that I look up to. We're not alone. That's encouraging. And you know, that kills that shame even more. But then you also know what it does. If I I pull up knee to knee with a friend, I'm like, I'm dealing with this. He's gonna feel a freedom that he can say the same thing back to me. So not only am I feeling a sense of freedom, my brother's gonna start feeling a sense of freedom. And then the other people in the group are gonna start sharing and feeling a sense of freedom. And can you imagine when a group of Christians then gets together on a Sunday morning and and they have dealt with their junk during the week and confessed it and shame and bondage has come off and we come through the door and someone says, how are you doing? Man, I'm blessing the Lord. No mask, I mean it. And when I come in here, guess what? We get all Pentecostal. That was a nice song, Mike. I mean, we're, it, it sets not just the individual free, but the community free. And imagine what God will do here. What's he already doing? But imagine what he will do if, not, not that you have to come up here and share everything with the church, but you need to find somebody. You need to find a group. You need to find somebody to share these things with. But it's important for that to happen. Because I think last time I was here, my wife said, you kind of already spoke about that. So I'm not gonna jump into that too much. What I want to do is talk to you as a church, as a group, for for 60 seconds. For that to happen, this must be a Christian community that is all about mercy and not about judgment. And if you go to your church's website and you look at the core values, do you know what one of the core values is? Mercy over judgment. Mercy over judgment. Your pastor believes that, he does. And that's why it's one of the core values. And, and this is so important for the world we live in because everyone out there who's not a believer is looking at the church and thinking they're all about judgment. Well, until we're like, guys, yeah, I'm a hypocrite because I sin too. I mean, you can, by definition, yeah. I don't wanna do it, but I do it, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to improve. I'm talking to people about it. I'm growing. How can we expect people on the outside to think they can experience mercy here if we're not experiencing it and extending it ourselves. So not only do I need to go and find people that I can be honest with, I need to be that person for others. And I need need to buddy up to, to some guys in the guys group or women in the women's group and just say, listen, I don't have it all figured out, but if you ever need to talk, I'm here. No judgment, all mercy. No judgment, all mercy. Or you say, listen, I need someone to talk to that will just show me mercy. Guys, I I can't imagine what God would do. What he would do in, in a church of people who truly are all about mercy over judgment. And I think once we get a taste of the reality that confession is truly rewarded, we're gonna be a bunch of weirdos out there sharing our stuff with each other, praying for each other, crying over each other, getting healed, getting set free, doing away with the chains and the bondage, celebrating, joyful, blessed in the Lord because we're really experiencing what he has meant for us to experience. And until then, we're gonna live lives that are defeated. We're gonna walk in struggling, thinking we're alone, thinking no one understands, remaining ineffective. And I I just pray that's not true for what occurs in this church and in your life. Going forward, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your great love for us. God, you're so patient with us. And we mess up over and over and over again. God, it's not that you have to continue to forgive us. You exist outside of time. Our forgiveness was established, your word says, before the foundation of the, of the world was laid. You do call us to be honest with you and Lord, we wanna be. And we thank you for the forgiveness that we experience of our, from our sin, from the guilt of our sin through Jesus. But Lord, help us to mature. Help us to mature as believers and also as a church and make that harder step of being honest with each other so that, so that we're not just forgiven, but we're freed. We're not just, we're not just helped out of the out of the weight of guilt, but we're healed from shame. And only Jesus does that, but God, you set it up to where we're supposed to live in community, and you've given us all these one another commands in your word of how we're supposed to live together. Help us do that. Help us do that. Help us to be honest with each other. And Lord, when people are honest with us, help us to be people of mercy for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.